Welcome to Anything But Routine presented by Just For Kicks. This podcast covers everything and anything dance. Stay up to date with the podcast by hitting the subscribe button. Today, Cindy is taking questions from our Dance Teachers Unite Facebook group. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. Hi, Dance Coaches and Teachers Unite Facebook group. My name is Cindy Clough, and I'm the one that runs this group, for those of you that don't know me. And gosh, we are up to 7,600 and some members, which is really incredible. We started this group in 2015. So I had asked what some of you wanted to have a Facebook Live on, and I decided to just take some of your questions. So I'm, And I won't get through all of them today. I haven't done a Live for a long time. And I want to start having this be something that you feel you can write in questions for and then I'll hit them the next week. My life is so busy that I do not set a regular time to do this, but I figure you can watch it whenever you can. So I'm sure your lives are very busy too. This this first question goes out to Aaron Mansky, who wrote me about 10 questions. So we may only get through Aaron's questions today. I kind of wear, well, I wear more than two hats, but I'm a studio owner. So my local studio in Brainerd, Minnesota, central Minnesota, about two hours north of Minneapolis, has 534 kids in it. And I also coach a high school dance team. I'm in my 44th year of coaching high school dance team. So I understand both sides, the studio side and the dance coaches side. So I hope I can help you in either way. So you can write in questions for either thing and I am happy to share. Not that I have all the advice, but been through a lot of stuff with 44 years of coaching. So Erin Mansky, I believe she's from Wisconsin. She asks, how do you work with school administration to set up a budget from the athletic department? Um, I feel your, your relationship with your school administrator is so important. So do anything you can do to build that. In terms of a budget, my team, um, I can just go by what we say is we will take whatever our athletic department will, will give us, but we also earn as much money as we possibly can. So we're pretty self-supporting. We do a lot of fundraising individually for our team. And we also, because I want to utilize more than what my school district will give us. So um, our school pays for our buses. They pay for all our entry fees to our competition. If I asked them to pay for uniforms, they would. I generally just forget to because we're so self-sufficient. There are years that they do pay for our, our, our costumes, but we want to get them more often that they, than they would pay it. I know a lot of um, schools are on a rotation with their costumes for a school district, so that might be something you can do. And anyone else can share in answers on this. So um, I just say that relationship is so important and write out what you need. The one thing to think about is a different perspective than what I'm saying is you are just as important as the basketball team. You're just as important as the volleyball team, any team. So you should get money from the budget from your school district. So and when I'm saying I don't go to them that much, our busing fees alone are astronomical because we live way away from all the competitions. And we do a lot of overnights, and they do not say one thing about our overnights. They pay for our bus overnight. 
And the other thing they do for us is they pay for our state hotels if we make it to state. And so, you know, when I'm saying I take whatever I can get, they're very good to us. They're very, very good to us. So I just, when it comes to costumes, I want to do what I want, and I don't want to be tied to a three-year rotation, so I just do them. So whatever works for you guys. Okay, working with other teams in the same city. For example, how can a team from east work with a team from west if you're in a big town or, or whatever? Um, I think that's a really great great question and it's so important and I feel it's important to give the the it's how you deal with it that your kids will deal with it I'll give an example last week we held a meet here in Brainerd and our our one of our rivals which is Anoka because she they're a very strong team and our team is a very strong team and we competed against each other on Friday night and on Saturday morning it was actually the Anoka coach's idea she wanted our kids to get along so Megan asked if we could do something together in the morning and because I'm such a taskmaster rather than doing like a fun game or something I had I scheduled a great teacher to come in and do a workout with our two teams. Well, let me tell you, they worked out hard because which one is not going to let the other one outdo each other? And when they got done, my kids go, this is the hardest thing we've ever done. So, you know, get along with your other team, support each other, appreciate each other's, you know, when one team has success, that doesn't make you less of a team. So teach your group to celebrate another team's success. I always point out, like we compete with, with a lot of different schools over and over, and I always try to point out to my team, wow, they have a culture of excellence, and you know they're going to be tough to get by. You know, So point that out to your kids. So um, learning hard life lessons when you let the team fail. And I don't know if she means as a coach when you let the team fail. If I feel like my coaching has um, screwed up my team or let them fail. I admit it. Um, you know, I, sometimes I feel we got out coached and sometimes I feel they have not done their part. Like I feel like I've given them a routine on a silver platter and they have not executed it. And that's my failure too, probably if they haven't executed it, but you know what I'm saying? If they maybe don't have the skills they need or whatnot. So I just think it's important to be real with your kids. My kids know I will never lie to them. They know I'm going to tell them like it is, and I, appre- I appreciate hard work just as much as, as success. We may not always hit it, and if you have a failure, it's not always a failure, and failure is practice getting better at what you need to do. So talk about it. I don't think let f- one failure define you. One thing I've been doing lately, you guys, is listening a lot to other sports coaches. Like I listen to PJ Fleck a lot. He's the Minnesota Gopher coach that has coached football and brought them from, you know, uh, losing history to a, a more successful season. They just lost to Iowa. All you Hawkeyes fan, dang. But anyway, um, I listen to other coaches to learn what they do. So. Never use your time driving in the car to just veg, which might be good, but I'm kind of a workaholic. Um, I listen to other coaches, and I listen to what they're doing and what's helping them be successful. So you might want to try that too. But a failure is never a failure. You can always turn it into a positive experience, you know. I always tell my kids, or you know, and I try to tell myself this, is that you are the only problem you will ever have in your life. You personally are the only problem you will ever have. And then I go on to say, you are also the only solution you will ever have. So however you are looking at things with your team is how it's going to be. So you can turn every solution or every problem into a, a learning experience or 
come up with a solution for what happened or like teaching them a lesson. So sometimes it's good in advance to have looked at some things that you would say, if it goes this way, or if it goes that way, how am I going to deal with it? That comes with experience. You know, I'm, I've been around long enough that I don't, um, let every failure define me, you know, for me to be a bigger failure, if we didn't try, if we didn't try to go, if we didn't try to go after it, for me, it's a bigger failure when you say, no, we can't be ready that early. Cause our team can't do that. Then going, yeah, we're just going to get out there and do it. Like we had a meet early this year. Why do you think I did that to push my little birds out of the nest and see if they can fly? If we don't do it early, we're just postponing the t- pain. I have a saying that work expands to fill the time you allow it. So if you tighten up your deadline, we do that a lot here at the office. If we tighten up our deadlines and pretend something is due before it is, that is going to help you a lot to move up that deadline. Um, The importance, her next question is the importance of professional development for coaches and opportunities that exist. Well, I'm glad you asked that because we would like to invite you to any of our camps in the summer. I truly believe that professional development is what's going to keep you going. And you know, when I say I've been doing this 44 years, to keep you in the game for the long haul, you have to have something new to bring to the table. I don't care if it's your studio or if it's your dance team. I go to anything I can possibly go to even after all these years, because if I get one tidbit of advice, it's helpful. Last year, I went to the National Dance Coaches Convention and it was in Vegas. This year, it's coming up in National or in Nashville in March. And I, or not March, excuse me, it's May. And I cannot go to that, but I did post it on the Coaches Unite site. So if you want to sign up to go to that one in Nashville, that would be really great. It's a great event. I learned a lot at it. Gave me new ideas. I'm also bringing in a couple of speakers they had last year. Rob Miller is one to be at our Minnesota Coaches Conference. So we have about 150 coaches at all of our three camps that come to our classes. So if you ever could travel into Brainerd, Minnesota to go to a camp, you you can fly into Brainerd. You're on one of those little Fred Flintstone planes, but you can get into Brainerd. And um, we'd love to pick you up and bring you to our camp. You could also go to any of our other camps like in Iowa or Wisconsin or Illinois or Nebraska or um, trying to think off the top of my head, Washington. We have a lot of different ones. But our big one where we bring in most of the speakers because of the size is Minnesota. And I'll be speaking at that. We have three in a row. And we also have, gosh, we have a, I'm going to be sending that out soon, so I won't talk about it. But that would be a great professional growth for you as a, as a dance coach. If you're a dance studio owner, you could also go to that because I do classes for you on that. I've attended a thing in New York last year, the Dance Teacher Summit. I've also gone out to the one in California, which is Break the Floor, but they have a teacher section. I just think all of that stuff's valuable. And sometimes bringing someone in or things like this, believe it or not, this session is professional growth for you because you will learn things. So anything you can belong to or ask questions at, go for it. I have a lot of people pump my brain and I love it. I love to, that's one of the things when you get my age, you love to give back. So go for professional development all the way. Okay. What options exist for creating formations and transition transitions in choreography without using colored pencils and graph paper and moving magnets around? Well, there are lots of them. 
The most expensive one and the hard, hardest to work is called Pyware, P-Y-W-A-R-E. And it is actually created for marching bands. But there is also one called Choreo or Choreo Mover. And I might find the name of this if I'm wrong on it because my assistant coach, Julie, uses it. And it's much, much simpler to use than Pyware, which is the one my daughter, Allie, uses. But I think they're really cool if you have never used those to learn how to move people around for choreography. So... If you just go on Google and you search choreography formation maker, I bet a lot of them will come up. You can put their initials in. But just to give you an example, we did ours and we sent it out in their band app group. It was all their formations. And then they were at practice when I got there walking around the gym with the little app looking at, okay, I go here first. Because like if we, for instance, say we danced 28 and we cut down to 24 or 32 and we cut down to 28 or something, we need to show them their formations before they get there because then they know where they stand and who they stand by. So their initial is on it and it shows them where to go. So those are really great. I'm just going to look if there's any questions at all on here. And if there are, I probably need somebody to come in and take questions for me. If there's anybody in my office that's logged in, I'd love it. Okay, so um, anyway, that's a great formation thing. The other thing that I learned last year, we did an Aladdin dance, and I think I posted it on here, but we wore four different costume colors. So I color-coded my kids. And it's really, I learned something myself from doing that, is that I grouped my kids together. Like for instance, if you're doing jazz, you could group your leggy kids and your really strong turners or your walkover kids with a certain color on your choreo app. And then when you do the formation, it will move them. You could go, okay, that's my leggy group that I wanna do extensions with or whatever. So, um, Okay, so her next question is maximizing fundraising opportunities such as 5000 and above. The first one um, I would say that we do is a show, and we gain a lot of money by doing a big show and charging for it. The second one I would say there's like little kids um, thing in the fall, right, in October or something, and then have them dance at a football game or do it in November and have them dance at your show and make double money by charging admission for the show and also doing a camp for them. So that might be a good way to make some extra money. Shows are great, and believe it or not, I was the first one to do a show in Minnesota, and I got the idea from Iowa people. Minnesota people have never done a show. So thinking of doing something like that would be good. We have a new app with Just for Kicks that we just formed, and it's kind of interesting because you can do it, they can do it from their phone, and everything is on their phone. And this is something I use for individual fundraising, so it goes directly into their account. But they can sell, we have about six or seven items that they can sell on their phone, and they make $10 each. It ships to their client. And it sells for 30 The shipping's included in there. So the $10, if you do this as a coach, you will get a spreadsheet and a check. And it will say, you know, Jane Smith gets $100. Judy Olson gets $150. And so it gives you a spreadsheet. All you have to do is divvy it. You know, you could use that spreadsheet and divvy it up into their accounts. And I love it because it's an individual one. So it goes directly to each kid. So that would be for like, say you have to get a costume and it's $150. I had one mom say, well, gosh, I'm buying Christmas presents with this. And then 10 bucks will go back into my daughter's 
um, dance account. So that would be a good way too. Um, if you do something like a show, selling flowers at it, selling light sticks, selling something extra. We've done everything from selling water at the 4th of July to whatever. But I know Aaron asked, what's a big one? Fewer, bigger fundraisers are great. And I would, I would stick with fewer, bigger ones so that you you know, have to do fewer of them. I have my parents handle all the fundraising. I have totally backed off of that and I love it. And I've saved my best fundraiser for last. We bag groceries at a grocery store. And the first time we did it, we made $17,000 on a Thanksgiving weekend or a 4th of July. I don't remember. I think the first time we did it was 4th of July. We always get the big weekends and we're in a tourist town and we did two cub food grocery stores and we made $17,000. That was a good fundraiser. And I didn't have to go. That's what I really liked about it. We wanted to take a short break to talk about Just For Kicks Black Friday and Cyber Monday sale. Take 25% off your order using code BESTSALE. This deal ends December 2nd, 2019, only at JustForKicks.com. Promo code BESTSALE. Now, back to the podcast. What are your tips not to burn out? Um, you say, share these on and off and they saved my life. It, my first tip was to keep growing, keep getting better, have something new to bring to the table. One thing I was just thinking right now is I feel like my kids seemed a little burned out. So I'm like, I'm going to print out any motivational thing I can read. So I have them in my backpack. So when they're feeling low, I can pull them together and talk. And I really highly suggest you talk to your kids about the mental side of coaching. It is the best way to build your culture. It's the best way to keep your kids going in the same direction and wanting to work really hard for you. So I stay more excited when I have something new to bring to practice. So watching more YouTube videos, bringing a YouTube video, there's all these like really cool videos about, um, you know, working hard and always it's football players, of course, or weightlifters or that type of thing. So I'm working hard to try to get some of those made for dance on it. But, um, think what new you can bring to practice. That's going to keep you in on it. Think what fun you can do. And, and sometimes looking at it through your kid's eyes, you know, when you've been coaching this long, I'm like, Oh God, we have a sleepover Friday night. We're going to be in a hotel. And you know, I got to think back to when I was in high school and if I would have ever gotten to go on a sleepover with a team, I'd have thought it was so cool. Friday night, I had my senior sleepover last Friday and my husband's in, in Florida and I'm like, what the heck am I doing this for? And then we sat there and had a fun time. I'm lucky to have a sauna. So we all sat in the sauna and the kids were like, this is so great. And I'm like, I'd have just been watching, you know, Blue Bloods or Criminal Minds or something and vegging in bed you know, why not do something fun that makes your kid buy, kids buy into what you're doing? So, okay, um, how to build a positive parent culture. I do a whole class on that at camp, so I can't talk about that in a brief, small video here. That would be a separate video, which I did do a parent video. If you Google it or, like, search it, there's a whole parent video. But one of the important things, I think, with parents is to talk to them email them. I have a parent band where I send positive things to them. But I learned this from Rob Miller last year in Vegas. And I said that to my parents this year. And I got to think how he said this, that if you are going, if my dance team is going to respect me as a coach and listen to what I say, I have to get that from parents too. And parents cannot undermine what I'm doing by stuff they say to their kids. Just as I would never go to your kids' parents and say, go to the parents and, or to the child. Okay. Like let's say, um, Alexa 
doesn't have a curfew and gets to do whatever that she wants. I would never say to Alexa, gosh, Alexa, I can't believe your parents are letting you stay out that late. Or vice, I can't believe your parents make you be in at 11 way earlier than all the other kids. I would never undermine the parents to Alexa. And I say that to the parents, you have my word that I will never undermine your parenting, but I need your word that you're never going to undermine my coaching. Because it's very hard to coach kids where you don't have the support of the parents. So I think if you can get across to the parents that you have the best interests of their kids at heart, you're trying to teach them to be great human beings, you know, and you're trying to teach them more than just dance in terms of how you are a role model for them, they will buy into what you're saying. Um, like you're, you're teaching them life lessons. You're not just coaching them. And once they know that you are doing that is so important and, and be approachable. Um, I don't want to be approachable every day with an email from the parents. I, I tell them that their kids have to handle stuff like when is practice and da, 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 da. But if there's something of major concern, I absolutely want them to come to me. You know, if there's something going on, but for the most part, their kids have to handle the problems and, and whatnot. So I don't know if that helps you, but I talk, you know, you've got to tell your parents what you want them to think in some ways. I'll send out emailers on You know, I sent one out on nutrition. I think I posted it last week. At least once every week or week and a half, I send something out like, your kids are doing so awesome. I'm so proud of how they're working. Or I'll maybe write it in band. I do stuff on Facebook so that they know you care about their kids. That's number one. I had way more problems when I was newly coaching than now. So that's something to keep in mind. Um, What to do when your booster club takes a left turn? I don't have a booster club for that reason. Um, it's funny because two of the oldest coaches in our state, uh, me, myself and Leslie Swiggum, who just retired, we never had booster clubs. I did at one point, but I ended it because I want to be in charge of what we're doing, not a parent. And I found when I did have a super overzealous group of parents, they were like wanting to meet on having a meeting about the meeting. And I didn't have the time. And finally, um, my assistant coaches and I decided to take a lot of it on ourselves. So we love our parents doing things like, um, helping with fundraisers. Like I had a competition last night and I really, or last week, and I really didn't do anything. They did so much of it, but we're giving them the guidance to do it. And I, I have like a book that we keep every year, what we've done and what we change so that if somebody new takes it over, um, like our grocery bag, and we do that three times a year. I have one mom that has run that for six years and now she has no kids. So she has a ment or like her senior is going to be graduating at the end of the year. So she has somebody under her wing to help do that. So I don't really have a booster club with a president and all that. Not that I'm saying that's bad. A lot of people do. I just couldn't handle it. But I have booster chairs, but I'm still in charge. No one is in charge of it because I want to be in charge of it. So that's just the way I do it. Okay. I think there's two more questions. How to make coaching and teaching a career rather than a hobby or a side hustle? Well, I obviously did that Uh, more like to the max, you know, But um, I would just say there's a lot of coaches out there that who have made it a career and a lot have it as a side gig. You know, I I look at someone on here and I know she is a um, RN and she works full time as an RN and then she schedules her time around a dance. So whatever works for you will work. Um, For me, you know, I run, you know, we have Just for Kicks directors who also coach high school and that's an awesome 
th gig for them. A lot of them would prefer just to coach kids so they make more money, obviously, because coaching high school, you don't make a ton of money. But if you want it to be your career, I would start teaching dance either for a studio, your own studio, or running a Just for Kicks program. It's a great way to build your passion into a job. And I can't say how much, I can't tell you how much I, I love it and how happy I am that I get to work my passion every day of the week. So um, last question, how do you split your program into multi-level teams and track dancers progress and she said ask about the tier system I don't know if she's on here but um, I know like on my high school program I think that's what she's talking about rather than studio is I have a varsity a JV and a lot of schools also have a B squad and when we have certain skills like you said a tier system I would like let's say at our practices I learned that like not everybody needs to stretch as much because some kids are so flexible. Their issue is being hyper flexible. They need to work on strength. So sometimes we break up into groups that work on what they need to work on. So like say it's toe touches or turns. We have little clubs we call them where okay the turn club is going to be over here. Da 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 da. You can do that. And um, one thing I do with different levels is like within my varsity, say I have very different levels, I want to challenge them so I never work to the bottom level. I always work to the upper middle level to keep them working hard. And I feel that's really important. Are there any last questions on here? Otherwise, I'm going to sign off. And it was a good first one of these. Thanks for tuning into the Anything But Routine podcast. Be sure to subscribe if you haven't. And if you enjoyed this podcast, leave a five-star rating. For more great resources, join our Dance Coaches and Teachers Unite Facebook group and join the network of dance teachers all across the country. Last but not least, get a great deal on your order with our Black Friday and Cyber Monday sale using promo code BESTSALE only at JustForKicks.com.